Good evening and thanks for joining us. Tears of joy today as dog walker Annette Poitras checked out of hospital to go home. It's been almost a week since she and the three dogs in her care were rescued from the Coquitlam backcountry. Grace Key was at the hospital today and Grace, big day for Annette and she was full of gratitude. Yeah, we're just outside Royal Columbian Hospital in New Westminster where she and her husband left earlier this afternoon and they are both extremely thankful for everyone who took part in the search. Annette Poitras is finally heading home. With her husband and dog Chloe by her side, she's leaving Royal Columbian Hospital after spending two nights lost in the backcountry. I'm glad to be alive. I'm so glad. Her ordeal began a week ago Monday. Annette went for a hike on Eagle Mountain in Coquitlam with Chloe and two dogs she walks, Bubba and Roxy. Search and rescuers went looking for her when she didn't return home by nightfall. Annette describes how she was knocked unconscious when she fell after stepping over a log. I don't know how long I was out for. I, uh, I, didn't, have, I didn't realize I didn't have a phone. I lost it. I lost my gloves. I, and one of the dogs went wandering off, couldn't find him, and there's no way in hell I was going to get off that mountain until I find Baba. The dog eventually returned. That night, she saw a search helicopter and desperately waved her jacket, but they couldn't see her. Two nights would go by. They endured torrential rain. With no food or water, Chloe kept watch, Baba searched for food, and Roxy kept her warm. Then late Wednesday morning, searchers finally found them in the Coquitlam watershed. What's it for Roxy? Well, Roxy was a big help. That's who uh, kept her warm at night. And, uh, you know, she was the one that uh, barked when the rescuers were close. Like, she was barking and barking. I was too weak. I couldn't call out. I was too weak. I saw that helicopter over and over and over again. And if I stayed one more night Thursday, I didn't think I was going to make it. Annette and her husband are incredibly thankful for the dozens of volunteer search and rescuers who came from across the province to help find her. First response team, I want to thank search and rescue, everybody, the community. After almost a week in hospital, we asked Annette what's the first thing she wants to do when she goes home. I'm going to have some ice cream. <laughs> hey, that was the first thing you ate in the hospital when, I, when you got there. So hopefully she got that ice cream. Now physically, she said uh, she's going to be using a walker for a little while. She's weak and she's pretty sore still from that fall. But other than that, she is doing well tonight. All right, that's great to hear. Grace Keith, thanks for that. Breaking details now about a high-risk sex offender living in a Vancouver halfway house. Police want you to know about 35-year-old Christian Otto Olson. He's a convicted federal sex offender and Corrections Canada says he's at a very high risk of reoffending. Children have been his targets in the past. Olson must wear an electronic monitoring device, not consume, purchase, or possess alcohol or drugs, and not be in, near, or around places where children under the age of 18 are likely to congregate. If you see Christian Otto Olson in violation of any of these conditions, you're asked to call 911 immediately. Shock and disbelief as word spreads of the passing of two well-known Vancouver seniors. Police calling their deaths suspicious. A 77-year-old woman and a 79-year-old man found in their home at Granville and Fifth late yesterday afternoon. Neighbors and business owners in the area say the couple owned Cheesecake Etc., a long-standing and popular cafe. 
I've known him for many years. I've I've been in the area for 27 years or something. Oh, wow. So as a business, and uh, they've always been great people and wonderful piano player. And, you know, he kept the the neighborhood buzz going. And <laughs> but uh, so I have no idea what's what happened. Now, a short time ago, police released a statement saying there's no evidence at this time to suggest anyone else was involved in this incident and there is no risk to the public. High security today at the Abbotsford Courthouse as the man charged in connection with the murder of Constable John Davidson made a brief court appearance. Oscar Arfman is charged with first-degree murder. Jeff Hastings was there and has more on Arfman's demeanor in court. We weren't sure that Oscar Arfman would actually be appearing in court this morning in person. The last we'd heard of him officially, he was in hospital after being taken into custody by police. Many people have seen that video of the the black Mustang racing down the street of the police cars, ramming it to a stop, and then officers surrounding it and open fire with their guns. And then later we learned that Oscar Arfman had been charged in the first-degree murder of Constable John Davidson. When he was led into court this morning, he was wearing the orange uh, prisoner garb. His hair was was wispy. It was a little wild. But he didn't appear any the worse for wear. He didn't look injured. Uh, there was nothing obviously wrong with him. In fact, he was quite aware and quite attentive. He was paying very close attention to the court proceedings, listening to his lawyer, listening to the Crown lawyer, listening to everything the judge said. He, was, he would crane his, his neck and, and, and listen quite intently. He was extremely engaged. Uh, as for the matter itself, his lawyer, Simon Buck, said that after his next appearance, they'll likely be in a position in the, in the proceedings where they'll be able to start entering evidence. There are a number of options uh, available to uh, counsel for Mr. Arfman. Uh, it'll be up to him to decide which way he wants to proceed with this matter to a certain extent. Uh, we'll see what happens when we get to court next. Now, his lawyer, Mr. Buck, uh, wouldn't go on camera, would not comment as to uh, how they were planning to proceed, whether there would be any uh, psychiatric evaluations coming. He wouldn't comment on Mr. Arfman's mental state. The Crown would not comment on any of that either. What we do know is that Oscar Arfman is back in court, back in this building in Abbotsford, on January the 12th. Back to you. All right. Thanks, Jeff. A corrosive spill closed the Coquihalla east of Hope for much of the day today. The highway was shut down in both directions between Othello and Merritt after a tractor trailer carrying a corrosive liquid caught fire near the Carolyn Mines exit. An environmental response team was sent to the area to deal with the leak. The northbound lanes reopened just before 3 and one southbound lane is now open. Motorists are being advised to check Drive BC before heading out. New technology is coming to crack down on distracted driving in this province. ICBC and the government teaming up to launch two pilot projects. One is proactive. Drivers can choose to take part. The other is a tool for police to catch those who just can't seem to get the message. Ted Chernecki has the details. Asking these buskers what they thought of distracted drivers and they broke out in song. When I'm driving in my car. Nobody likes distracted drivers, especially ICBC. It's not waiting for the auto industry to do something about it. If it has its way, ICBC will be putting a device in your car that would disable your phone once moving. 
Well, I don't think ICBC is in a position to force people to do those kinds of things. Um, we're we're still a democracy, uh, and uh, and we like it that way. Uh, but it might be something that we offer customers as an option uh, to to you know as possibly to to have a lower rate. ICBC will spend three months getting public feedback before finalizing anything. Think it's a good idea? Sure. Yeah. It wouldn't bother you that you can't hear anybody. Nobody's well, be able to reach you. I never touch my phone while driving. Really. I think it's a great idea. I would just ask about people and other family members in the back seat or beside you. They might not be so happy if you have a long drive and they can't. Yeah. Chat. Yeah. The second front in the war on the distracted driver involves these laser-guided cameras that snap photos of the guilty and shares them immediately with other nearby officers. Uh, those who are uh, using uh, uh, cell phones or texting while driving, distracted driving, because the reality is it kills more people now than uh, those who are driving while impaired. So consider yourself warned. While driving, either leave the phone alone or someone will take it away. Because... It's Ted Chernacki, Global News. Well, while buying a home in Metro Vancouver is a challenge, a new report indicates the rental market is not much easier. The report from the Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation finds the vacancy rate for purpose-built rental apartment units in 2017 was 0.9%, marking the third year that rates have been under 1% despite record construction. Average monthly rent for a two-bedroom in Vancouver, now just over $1,550. Compare that with the second and third highest, Toronto and Calgary, and even the cross-Canada average of $989. Meantime, the city of Vancouver presenting their 10-year housing strategy today. In attendance, a coalition of neighborhood groups voicing their opposition due to a lack of consultation and issues with the proposed density and rezoning. Aaron MacArthur has more on the proposal and residents' concerns. More rentals, more density, more of everything, everywhere. The city of Vancouver proposing sweeping changes in a new 10-year housing strategy. It's a steep hill to climb, and that's why our actions are um, bold, comprehensive, and uh, posited as a 10-year strategy. It's a plan aimed at building 70,000 new units of housing while trying to keep a lid on speculation. It's ambitious, and it has gained support from a wide variety of stakeholders. Neighborhood groups, though, say focusing on supply doesn't go far enough. In the last few years, we found that supply does not bring down residential costs or rental costs or anything. In fact, it helps uh, raise them. Here in East Vancouver, the average price of a house is now just about $1.6 million. According to some online calculators, to afford that, a family would need an income of about $248,000 a year. The city says it's higher. Here's the kicker. To get a down payment is $323,000. When the average income in BC sits at just below $70,000 a year, the numbers are laughable. We're not going to pretend that housing prices are going to drop in Vancouver anytime soon, just that we'll broaden the supply. Foreign investment has played a major role in this run, and groups like HALT are urging the city and all levels of government to look at a full set of measures to keep the market in check. And whatever sort of things we put, that we put into place have to address that speculation. We have to make sure that um, when we densify that it, it is going to you know, bring about having you know, uh, uh, units that people can either afford to rent or afford to purchase. The public will have a chance to weigh in on the housing strategy tomorrow at City Council.
Aaron MacArthur, Global News. Of course, housing is a big part of the provincial economy, for better or worse. And today we got an update on how well this province is doing. Keith Baldry joins us now with more on that. And Keith, turns out uh, BC's economy is humming right along. Yeah, the change in government and all the upheaval over the summer had no impact, no negative impact anyways. And, you know, every few months we get the, the quarterly uh, report and update on the province's finances. Also a snapshot of how our economy is doing. And the economic indicators are looking pretty rosy. Here's uh, some, some of the economic indicators I picked to uh, illustrate what's going on out there. First of all, B.C. continues to have the highest job growth rate of, of 3.6%. That's the highest in the country. We also have the lowest unemployment rate in the entire country at 5.3%. Uh, retail sales, a very uh, uh, strong economic indicator, up a significant 9.3% year-to-year. Exports, which is a big part of the B.C. economy, up more than 17%. And housing continues to build a little more than 1%, 1.5% uh, increase over last year, about 42,000 units being built. Most of those are condos in Burnaby, Coquitlam, and Surrey, according to finance officials today. Finance Minister Carol James picking up on that housing theme, talking to reporters, saying that she is going to be bringing in some measures in the spring budget to deal with the ongoing housing crisis. We are looking at tax options uh, to be able to address affordability, um, to be able to address speculation in the housing market. Um, certainly we are also looking at uh, supply and demand, which would uh, include the February budget and looking at whether there are other uh, housing options. So the economy is humming along, but her budget is starting to tighten. Chris, uh, the numbers aren't looking terribly great for her. Balanced budget this year, but it's going to be a challenge, I think, to bring in a big surplus next year. All right. Thanks very much, Keith. Well, Vancouver has car sharing and bike sharing. So how about cart sharing, as in shopping carts? A homeless advocacy group is floating the idea as a way to cut down on theft. Nadia Stewart explains how it would work. Moving from bin to bin, Mike Leland's bike tows his customized car, tailor-made for binning. But it hasn't always been this easy for him. I've spent an hour, you know, before I've even left to go on my route looking for a cart down here, unless you walk over to the depot. And what we're hoping to be able to set carts up where people can have that access and, and go get it. Leland, part of the team behind the Binners Project, a group working to destigmatize glass and bottle collection among Vancouver's low-income population. Their latest initiative, a cart-sharing pilot project, where light and sturdy carts would be available for short-term rentals. That will allow Binners to uh, go through their trap lines, make more income, do it in a healthy, safer way, and um, without having to rely on shopping carts from our grocery stores. The setup would be similar to the Moby Bike Share program. To start, there'd be two rental stations, one in the downtown east side where binners would probably be starting their work day, and a second by the bottle recycling depot where their day would end. It's a difference between $5 and $50. Leland says cart sharing could be a game changer. Councillor Andrea Reimer hopes Vancouverites will change their perspective on those who choose to bin. For those who haven't been homeless or who have other kinds of careers that they've chosen, it's hard for them to imagine this kind of work. When people are choosing to be empowered, um, to help us with what is actually an environmental problem, um, and it's a job with dignity. The plan is to charge a small refundable deposit, encouraging cart returns. If approved, the $75,000 pilot project would run for one year. Nadia Stark, Global News. Right now, though, a surprising show of compassion from a woman victimized by cyber bullies. And a warning, some of the details are disturbing. 
She and her daughter received Snapchat messages showing the family cat being abused. And even though the cat has recovered, the backlash against the people charged with the crime has been just as vicious. Nitu Garcha reports. If me and Lacey can contain ourselves through this, then I'm pretty sure everybody else should be able to do that as well. Outrage is okay, but violence is not. That's the message from Charlene Hagland a week after she went public with how her cat had been abused. It's just another way of bullying somebody else online. The recovering calico cat was drugged, shaved and thrown out a window, according to Hagland. And video of the abuse was sent to her teenage daughter through Snapchat. It's hard for my daughter because, I mean, one of them was her friend at one point. So, you know, she doesn't understand why she would want to do that to Gigi. 20-year-old Joshua Lemire, along with a 17-year-old male and 16-year-old female, were arrested. But even before they were formally charged, the three accused became targets of public shaming and death threats online. And the minors have been identified on social media. As anger grew, comments saying things like the alleged abusers should die, be tortured, deserve shaming and serious punishment started popping up on Facebook. When we see pages surface trying to highlight, trying to shame individuals, those who create those pages have to recognize their libel within that as well. This lawyer reviewed the online comments and says some of what he saw is criminal behavior, punishable by up to two years in prison. Some of the comments which were posted uh, were uh, threats, which would be criminal, uh, and it was also clear that people were publishing uh, the identity uh, of the young people involved, and that's also criminal conduct. North Cowichan Duncan RCMP is investigating and warning that vigilantism won't be tolerated and charges including criminal harassment and uttering threats are being considered. Come on, like, this is, needs to stop. Like, we want to move forward and we want love to prevail. Neetu Garcha, Global News, Duncan. A Nanaimo music store has fallen victim to some very determined thieves. Arbutus Music had already installed thick glass and bars over the windows, hoping to prevent theft. But the thieves instead broke into the electrical room beside the store and then dug a hole in the wall to get into the storage room. The owner says about seven guitars were stolen, and the thieves clearly were not guitar aficionados. They range from ones that are worth $100 to ones that are worth thousands of dollars. So uh, it's not as targeted as some people might think. I think they, and they, they just got into a storage area and, and kind of grabbed what they, they wanted. They left some very expensive guitars behind it that they didn't grab. Thankfully. So, thankfully, yeah. <laughs> Well, this is the second time in three years that Arbutus Music has been hit by thieves, and they've now enhanced their security system. They've also posted pictures of the stolen guitars on their Facebook page. B.C. residents are among the tens of thousands of people stranded in Bali as a volcano with a deadly history continues to erupt. Mount Agung is spitting ash four kilometers into the air, and lava is welling up in its crater. But experts still don't know how bad the eruption could be. So 100,000 people have been ordered to leave an area 10 kilometers around the mountain. But the local airport is still closed, canceling more than 400 flights and stranding 60,000 travelers, including the Okanagan's Brandon Olson and Mackenzie Peschel, traveling with their baby, who spoke to BC1 this afternoon. Is there recourse for you? You know, will you be given a flight home from somewhere, from a different location, let's say? Through our airline? Right. No. Um, We're going to have to pay for a new flight out of pocket, you know, two, three thousand um, dollars, if not more. And then hopefully the travel insurance will reimburse us when we get home. 
The last major eruption of Mount Agung in 1963 killed more than a thousand people. Authorities say it could stay at this level for weeks, but they also say a larger explosive eruption is also possible. Well, most of us look for that 100% label when we buy ground beef, but do we know what kind of beef? Hmm, a UBC researcher has created a new test that determines exactly what's in that hamburger. Like most consumers, you might assume that when you're buying ground beef, that's what you're actually getting. But it's not always the case. In 2013, there was a, a pretty large outbreak of um, people using horse meat into ground beef meat, and that scandal was happened in Europe. And just a few months ago, the University of Guelph released a report on sausages purchased in Canada. And they concluded that um, one in five of the sausage they tested have some unlabeled meat species present. There is a DNA test that government regulators can use to determine what species of animal you're buying in ground meat, but not what parts of the animal are actually being used. Creating such technology was the goal of UBC food science student Yashi Hu. We try to identify different types of offal. Uh, so offal is uh, animal byproducts, those organs inside them, including um, heart, liver, um, maybe stomach, lung. Parts of the animal that are sometimes thrown into the mix without the consumer knowing it. What Yashi did was teach a spectrometer, which can identify materials using light, to tell the difference between lean muscle and individual organ meats. The different molecules in beef meat will interact with the light. They will either absorb the light or reflect the light or scatter the light. The resulting data show what percentage is lean muscle and what is not. Even at this early stage of development, the technique is 100% accurate with five different organ meats. Yashi's hopes for her technology? If it's small enough, we think that there's a possibility for consumers to have this kind of instrument at home. Linda Aylesworth, Global News. International tensions are growing again tonight with reports that North Korea has fired another ballistic missile. And it comes one week after Donald Trump put the rogue state back on the U.S. list of countries that support terrorism. North Korea fired one of its biggest and most controversial missiles today, similar to this one intelligence officials believe launched last September, an intercontinental ballistic missile, which in theory can reach the continental U.S. But not the way North Korea fired this one. It went almost straight up, peaking, the South Korean military said, at an altitude of nearly 3,000 miles, traveling a distance of just 600 miles, until it crashed off the Japanese coast, causing no damage. And President Trump often criticized for his provocative and at times threatening rhetoric, today this kept his cards close. It is a situation that we will handle. Defense Secretary Mattis added a little more detail. It went higher, frankly, than any previous shot they've taken. Why now? Political payback, perhaps. President Trump threatened the North Korean regime while in South Korea earlier this month. The president followed up with a tweet saying he'd never call Kim Jong-un short or fat. Kim Jong-un was in no position to respond. The U.S. had three aircraft carrier strike groups nearby. Now, all but one of the carriers has left. And we may be entering a new cycle of escalation. In Hawaii today, officials let reporters listen to the state's new attack warning siren. Starting in December, it will be tested every month. 
a possibility of attack today is very remote, but we do believe that it's important that we be proactive. Pope Francis delivered a keynote address in Myanmar today where he called for peace, but stopped short of mentioning the Rohingya community by name. Per la giustizia e il rispetto dei diritti umani. The pontiff demanded respect and dignity for all ethnic groups. But after meeting with Myanmar's leader, human rights activists say the Pope missed an opportunity to directly reinforce his support of the Rohingya. The UN describes what has happened to the minority Muslims as a campaign of ethnic cleansing. A sobering new warning tonight from the U.S. Federal Aviation Administration about the growing danger to airlines from drones. New research shows a mid-air collision between a drone and a jet could cause significant damage. Some sort of a lighted drone just flew right over it. It happens too often. Drones nearly colliding with commercial aircraft. Like this close call in Dallas. A drone flying a few hundred feet above an Airbus. Airbus reported a drone passing over the top of them. Tonight, Assure, a team of researchers working with the FAA, worries it's only a matter of time until a drone strikes a passenger plane. The new study simulates that impact. Drones slamming into the leading edge of a wing, the stabilizers, and the windshield of passenger jets. I think we should be aware that even small drones can cause damage uh, into the airframe. Planes are designed to withstand some damage caused by birds, so researchers compared that to drone strikes of similar size and speed. The takeaway? Drones made with metal cause more damage. Damage to the airplane, be it an engine loss or damage to a windscreen, creates an emergency. Pilots are trained to handle flying the airplane with an engine out, and I would expect them to be able to come back around and land. With more drones in the air, regulations on where you can fly them protect the public. But they have to be followed and enforced to keep everyone on the ground and in the air safe. Miguel Almaguer, NBC News, Los Angeles. In Health Matters tonight, an update on the five-week-old baby who needed an expensive drug that wasn't covered by the province. We told you last week how the province had reversed its policy and agreed to cover the drug on a case-by-case basis. The mother of Baby Harbor now says he's had two doses of the drug, Solaris. There's a lot of different pieces. Each day holds new things, and we are praying that tomorrow will be a new day and that it will be good and that the results of everything we do and everything that God does would be evident and that we can continue moving forward with big strides so that he gets fully healed and well soon. Brandy Reimer says Harbor hasn't had to go back on dialysis and was taken off oxygen for a half day. Both good signs. But he's also showing a recurrence of some symptoms and has high blood pressure, so he still has a battle ahead of him. Very romantic. He got on one knee. <laughs> Is it an instant yes for me? Well, you've probably seen the engagement interview, but after the forecast, find out why video of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle after the questions is getting a lot of attention online. They are such a cute couple. Okay, uh, let's check in with Christy, our meteorologist. It was 
so nasty yes, earlier this morning. today for a lot of people. We had wind gusts up to 91 kilometers an hour in areas like Saturna Island today. Yeah, it was uh, blustery and the rain was coming down. Nice shot of uh, BC Places you can see there. The green, by the way, is because of um, Giving Tuesday is what they're calling it. It's in response to uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday. Companies are actually giving things away, if you can believe it. Giving Tuesday. All right. So, um, yeah, it was super stormy this morning, but uh, it eased off through the afternoon hours. All of the moisture is now in the interior, and that that's why they have still snowfall warnings in place for the Coquihalla, the and sorry, not the connector, the Coquihalla, Rogers Pass, and Kootenay Pass, all expecting still another 10 centimeters of snow. This is the Coquihalla. Now, it has been closed for a good part of the day, but now the southbound lane is open for one, uh, one lane southbound, but all lanes on northbound are open. But nonetheless, I wouldn't head out on these highways right now because we are still expecting significant snow. Tomorrow will be much busier, better travel day. So if you wait uh, till tomorrow. I would recommend doing that for sure. Here's what's on deck, everyone. It's quite a massive storm that's going to bring in quite a bit of moisture. So tomorrow, a little bit of break for the south coast, mainly dry for the day, but then through the afternoon hours, this pushes in quite quickly. Those of you on the north coast will see it earlier in the day and a lot of moisture even behind that front. The good news is, everyone, we have a huge upper-level ridge that's going to build Sunday, potentially Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday. This will be the first time that we've had an extended period of sunshine for many, many weeks. So uh, look forward to that and stay tuned. We'll keep you up to date on whether uh, that is continuing to be the plan. So the North Coast, it'll be stormy for you tomorrow as the low pressure center moves in, periods of rain, some areas snow just through the morning period. Generally dry across these regions. You'll see the snow through the overnight period, especially at higher elevations, lower elevations. It's sort of a mix of rain and snow uh, depending, but a nice day generally across the south. South Coast regions, just a chance of showers in the morning, overcast skies, and then rain pushing in later in the day. A high of about 9, 10 degrees across the region, and we continue to be unsettled for the next couple of days. And again, as I mentioned, what you want to look forward to is Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday as well, potentially. Happy anniversary to Olga and Edgar celebrating 70 years together. And this is a beautiful shot from Tassis. Thanks to Gordon for that one. Tassis on the west coast of Vancouver Island. Only 300 people live there, and I've been there. You have to get to Tassis in order to get out to Nootka Island, mm-hmm. which wow. is a beautiful part of the island. Well worth the trip, mm-hmm. for sure. Thanks very much, Christy. Well, one day after their engagement made international headlines, some new video of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle is burning up the Internet. After their official interview was over, the cameras kept rolling. The microphones were off, so the video was silent. But royal watchers are pouring over the pair's playful body language. Markle more animated throughout the two-minute video with Harry maintaining slightly more royal comportment. With the rolled R. That's right. (laughs) Emphasis on slightly. Kensington Palace announcing today that Harry and Meghan will marry at Windsor Castle next May, the date yet to be announced. The wedding will be about a month after the due date of Prince William and Kate Middleton's third child. Young love. So sweet. Something, isn't it? And if you're heading out this weekend to pick up your Christmas tree, Massachusetts police would like to point out that this is not how to take it home. Police in the town of Sudbury posted this picture on their Facebook page of a tree that, as you can see, pretty much covers the entire... Uh, what is that? Oh, it's a minivan. You can barely tell. <laughs> yeah, you can't tell. It's a minivan. <laughs> Maybe they're just embarrassed they're driving a minivan. <laughs> Could be that, too. The driver did not get a ticket. Officers helped him tie the tree down properly and then escorted him home. What house can that tree fit into? 
It's got to be a big one. <laughs> covers the whole vehicle. I know there are minivan drivers out there. I'm not embarrassed to drive a minivan, which is good. That's good. There's a reason they sell a billion of them That's a year. That's true, they do. If you're the nice guy selling minivans, you're making a lot of money. That's right. Just things get rough. <laughs> Can't win them all, Squire says. <laughs> Sometimes <laughs> things get rough on the road. You've mm-hmm. been to Brooklyn, haven't you? Yes. Have you been to Brooklyn? Two times. Mm-hmm. It's I rough. I might be going later this week, too. Really? Well, you missed the Canucks game, unfortunately. Okay. Uh, the Canucks won their first two games of this road trip, both in Pennsylvania, beat Flyers, beat Penguins. Didn't win the next two, but they did get a point in New York. So they had five points in four games coming into this game this evening, which actually isn't that bad. They stayed in the New York area, they crossed the Brooklyn Bridge, and they got to play the Islanders, who had been one of the better teams in the NHL this month. In fact, they have not lost in regulation at home. The only team to still have that going on. The Canucks decided not to use Nikolai Goldobin for this game. They brought him up from Utica. Of course, Sutter is back home with an injury. He took the warm-up, but then Vancouver decided to go with the same lineup they had against the Rangers on Sunday. Against the Rangers, Top two rookies, Brock Besser and Coquitlam's Matthew Barzell facing each other. All right. Scott Mayfield, whoa, gives Bo Horvat the people's elbow, at least the people of Brooklyn's elbow. That was a penalty. So here's the power play. Whoop, Alex Edler, what are you doing? Breakaway for Andrew Ladd, scores shorthanded. 1-0 Islanders. Same power play. The Canucks make up for that mistake. And I've, uh, I've come down in Louis Erickson quite a bit, but I have to say, lately he's played pretty well. Eight points in his last eight games, sets up Thomas Vanek here. That's a power play marker, and it's 1-1. But... First period, still didn't go the Canucks' way. Josh Hosang, yes, he's wearing number 66. Mario Lemieux's old number. Calvin DeHaan with the goal, 2-1. Of course, Lemieux did not play for the Islanders, but a lot of people think that number should be off limits. He doesn't think so, and Lemieux's okay with it. Jordan Everly, who's been playing well since coming over from Edmonton, gives the Islanders a 3-1 lead. That goal was one minute after the goal by DeHaan. Then, second period... Canucks messing around with it in front of their own net, and it's Anders Lee. Take another look. Well, they tried to clear it, hit Sven Berge, skate, goes right back to Lee, and Anders Nilsson had no chance. 4-1. Canucks are shorthanded. Bo Horvat, his jaw's feeling okay. That's John Tavares trying to play defense. He's a great player, but he's no defenseman, and that's a nice shot by Bo Horvat coming off the right wing. Take another look. That made it 4-2. Did that provide the Canucks momentum? Sadly, no. Third period, Anders Lee outfights Derek Pouliot for the puck. Who's hanging around the front of the net? John Tavares. Move, goal, 5-2 the final. Travis Green is shaking his head. The Canucks are getting on a plane to go to Nashville to finish off this road trip. With Freddie Montero's chances of returning to the Vancouver Whitecaps at 50-50, he has a year under contract with the Chinese club in 2018. He was only here on a loan. The uh, Whitecaps are close to signing a new striker from South America. No names yet, but it's not a surprise the Whitecaps are searching in South America, which is where they found a lot of their main forwards in recent years. Getting strikers out of Europe is getting a bit too costly these days for the Whitecaps. Now, yesterday, Vancouver told a number of players they wouldn't have their options picked up for 2018. That does not mean that all those players won't be back next season. Teams do this sometimes to renegotiate contracts. Don't pick up the auction and then renegotiate for less money. 
Now, one player the Whitecaps would like to sign to a new deal is Russell Tybert. He's been here. He, he was a, a product of our, our development program. So ideally there is a, a, something that can be worked out with, with him, given the history he's had with the club. You like the chance of him coming back? Uh, I... I I 50, hope 50? so. Yeah, it's probably 50-50. I, I hope uh, that, that he's back. And I know that he loves it here as well. So uh, it'll probably come down to you know, how much he really wants to stay. Um, and, of course, you know, the, 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 the number that we're, we're putting in front of them. Watford, Manchester United. Premier League action. Watch Ashley Young. Oh, through the legs and in the corner. That's one for Manchester United. And then he gets it again. Six minutes later, free kick. That's two for Young, two for United. They need four. 4-2 four was the final. Eli Manning will not be the New York Giants starting quarterback this Sunday against Oakland, and that is significant because he had started 210 games in a row dating back to 2004. Second most all-time for quarterbacks. Brett Favre is number one at 297. Eli's older brother Peyton is three at 208. The uh, Giants are going to go with Geno Smith, who was once a Jets quarterback. Eli is 36. Okay, he's not what he used to be. But the Giants did ask him if he wanted to start this game just to keep the streak going and then come out of the game. He said no, because then the streak would be tainted. He, of course, has won two Super Bowls, both against New England, beat the Patriots when they were unbeaten that year. Uh, so his resume is pretty much set. There you go. Character move? Character move? Well, Sorry, it, go ahead. It, it would, that's no streak. Yeah. You'll throw one pass and come out. No, he knows better. Thanks, Squire. Thanks, there you Squire. Go. Here is a look at the conditions on the mountains. In the south coast, some snow did fall today, about 5 to 10 centimeters. A base at Whistler Blackcomb of 133 centimeters. Grouse 100. Cypress a base of 128. Sasquatch opens on December 15th. In the interior, Revelstoke and Manning Park open December 2nd. Powder King a base of 153 centimeters. In the southern interior, Big White, Silver Star, Sun Peaks all have bases of 80 to 95 centimeters. Apex opens December 2nd. Coming up on ET Canada, Prince Harry and Meghan Markle's wedding month revealed. We've got all the latest on the royal engagement that the world just can't get enough of. And getting you pumped up for Vikings, on-set secrets with the cast in Ireland. Who's Catherine Winnick's character hooking up with? That's coming up at 7 right after the news hour. Back to you, Chris and Sophie. All right, thanks very much, Paul. Well, this is, of course, Giving Tuesday, where we're asked to atone for our runaway Black Friday and Cyber Monday spending by giving back. And you will find no better example than 100 children with heartwarming ways that they're giving back, and they're all getting a special Christmas bonus. While many kids focus on what they want to get this time of year, you want these stuffed animals? Walt would rather give. I heard a lot about giving then. I thought maybe I could be one of those givers. A second grader with a heart bigger than he is. This is going to be heavy. Collecting pajamas for kids in foster care. Chloe couldn't stop thinking about a homeless woman she saw on her way to school. Thank you. Now she puts together bags of necessities for those in need. Giving me a hug is a good thousand dollars to me. It's very valuable. Both are GoFundMe kid heroes. 
100 of the most generous among us, featured in a new campaign by the Giving Site. And on this Giving Tuesday, each granted $1,000 more for their favorite causes. Not only are these kids compassionate, but they're super creative and their appetite to solve the world's problems is so large and inspiring. Amaya sells lemonade to help pay off school lunch debts. I am helping the world by setting an example for other people. I'm still a kid, though. Kids showing us all that age doesn't matter when you want to change the world. You never change to help. You can always do something. Kristen Dahlgren, NBC News, New York. You're right. That's you nice. can always do something. Yes, you can. Words of wisdom from little people. <laughs> I'm always amazed because a lot of kids are just thinking about themselves this time of year. Well, you and I are sharing stories yeah. about our, our sons. We, you got to keep reinforcing. That's Show right. that story to them. So that's yeah, right. I should, actually, yeah. He's watching.